0: Well, good morning everyone. Are you still awake out there? Everybody's okay? Hey, way to go. Clap if you're okay. Hey, let's have a cheer for God today. God is good. Now, Greg introduced me as a former pastor here. I was a lead pastor for uh, six and a half years here at Elmhurst Church. However, some of you are relatively new and you're going right now, isn't that the guy who drives the golf cart on Sunday mornings? See? He, like, preaches, too. That's really, you know, you can get promoted. If you volunteer for hospitality, you might get a chance at the pulpit. You never know. Um, I've been paying close attention to the fact that we've been going through the Book of Acts uh, this summer, um, and I've always thought of the Book of Acts as, um, as exciting as any piece of literature that you and I could ever read. I mean, it's filled with drama and suspense and complicated relationships and unexpected characters and leaders Uh, and issues that need to be worked out and tragic deaths and strange occurrences. And one of the things that we've been following more closely lately is over and over again these visions and dreams that people have that seem totally bizarre to us, and we we don't really understand how this happens or how it would work or why God chooses to use that. Well, today in uh, Acts chapter 10 and part of chapter 11, we not only have one person getting a vision from God, but two people having separate visions for God that somehow he eventually brings together into one. So first of all, we're going to meet this character from the book of Acts named Cornelius. I'm not going to have any of the scripture on the screen because I think this is such a great story, and these are such great stories that we should treat it as if someone's reading it to us and we're listening to it for the first time. So, I'm going to encourage you to do that. The Holy Spirit will work in our lives as we do so. So listen, because as you listen, you'll hear the Word of God. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those who were in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, About three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before the Lord. Now send men to the city of Joppa to bring back a a man whose name is Simon, who is called Peter he's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea so this is Cornelius Cornelius is a very accomplished man he's complicated as it would be in the first century he's a, a Roman he's a Roman soldier who has worked his way up the ranks to be a centurion which is a leader of a regiment of people and in regiment and leading that regiment of military people um, he deployed troops, he devised strategy, he supervised Roman soldiers. He was a key leader in Roman government. But he also was unique in the fact that not only was our Roman soldier, but we're told that he was God-fearing. He believed in the same God that the Jews believed in. He was devout in his worship, he was devout in his prayer life, he was generous in everything that he did, he was a man of integrity. Even though he had never officially converted to Judaism, it was recognized that he was this kind of unique individual. And God came to him in the middle of the afternoon in a vision and in a dream and told him he was supposed to send some of his troops to a different city, to the city of Joppa, where he find a man named Peter. So meanwhile, we have Peter, the apostle, in another city, not Caesarea, where Cornelius was, but in Joppa, he also has a vision. Listen to what happens to Peter. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of animals, as well as reptiles and birds, Excuse me, four-footed animals, reptiles and birds. And then a voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, replied Peter. I have never eaten anything that is impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. Two men, two dreams. But this vision of Peter is a little bit strange compared to the vision of Cornelius. Cornelius' vision was rather straightforward. Hey, send some people to Joppa. You're going to find a guy they named Peter. Bring him back to Caesarea. Peter's vision, probably for him, was a little bit more like a nightmare. He saw a large sheep held up by its four corners with all kinds of four-footed animals on that on that sheet. And none of those animals were legitimate for good Jewish people to eat. If you ate those things, you were unclean. So what do you have there? My guess is for sure you have at least a pig, totally unclean for the Jews, right? You might have cattle, you might have pigs, sheep, whatever the case might be, along with turtles and snakes and reptiles, and who knows what else was on that sheet? It's just absolutely weird and strange. All those animals were forbidden for Jews to eat, and if they ate them, they would be unclean, and therefore they would be cast out of the faith. Peter couldn't imagine what this could mean, and he certainly couldn't buy into it right away. In fact, God had to show him this vision three different times. He found it offensive to believe that he would be requested to do such a thing. But this was the vision that God was putting before him. Now... One of the most important characteristics that any leader can have in any situation is vision. And over the years, having read a lot about vision and leadership, one of the definitions I've adopted is that a vision is a picture of the preferred future that you'd like to have. And any good leader has a vision, whether it be for your institution, your organization, for your business for your family, for your team. What is the vision? Where do you want to go? Where do you think God is leading you? What is the vision that you have? And this, these visions that we see in the book of Acts don't just occur in the book of Acts. God uses vision all the time. From the very beginning, right? In the book of Genesis. Abraham, who was way too old to be having children, 75 years old. He and Sarah have no children. God comes to him in a vision and says, you're gonna have a baby. Talk about a nightmare instead of a dream. This is the way God works. Joseph was a man of dreams and an interpreter of dreams. God gave him a vision. Samuel was given a vision of a new king that would come from the family of Jesse. Mary had a dream. Joseph had a dream. Zechariah had a dream about the new Messiah that would be coming. All of these visions could be characterized as God's idea of, of a picture of a preferred future. This is where I want to lead people. This is where I want the body of Christ to go. This is what's coming. We have a Messiah that's gonna turn everything upside down, whatever the case might be. And visions create change. They stretch people. They usually have skeptics, and sometimes strong opposition. People don't like change. They don't like a vision. We're comfortable with the way things are. People laughed at the founder of Apple Computer, Steve Jobs, when he had this vision of, I think everybody could have a computer in their own home. And everybody laughed at it, that's crazy, that's nuts. How many of you now own an Apple product? How many of you have an Apple iPhone? It's a computer on a phone! That's nuts, who hears that kind of thing? It just doesn't exist, right? Or when Jeff Bezos said, you know what? I'm gonna try to sell books online. They can just go on a computer and order them. Now you can order your whole life without ever leaving your house on one of Steve Jobs' computers from Jeff Bezos. It's just the way life works. This is a vision, and people always think that vision like this that is too far-reaching is kind of crazy and nuts. You're sitting in this parking lot in front of this beautiful building on one of the busiest thoroughfares in DuPage County. In the early 2000s, the leaders of this congregation had a vision of what it would be like to move from a location that was relatively hard to find back in a residential area. What would it mean for us to move to a place like this? And to build a facility that was over the capacity that we currently have. And a vision to grow God's kingdom in that way. Now, there are leaders here who could tell you that there were skeptics, there were people who laughed. There was even strong opposition, but this was obviously what God wanted to have happen and what God wanted to do. God uses visions to move people into his preferred future for his community and for the church. So here's what happens next. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of his vision, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are here looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them to you. Peter went down, and said to the men I'm the one you're looking for why have you come? the men replied we've come from Cornelius the centurion he is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say and then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests God gave two different people in two different cities, very distinct visions, and they both acted on those visions. Cornelius sent men to find Peter in Joppa, and when they arrived, Peter's vision was then clarified. Oh, oh, now I'm starting to get it. Now, Now I kind of understand what this vision was of these animals and reptiles and everything. What each of these people probably thought was God working independently in their life was actually God working to bring about his purposes by combining their visions together. And it's more common than we probably realize. I was thinking about this the other day because um, a lot of uh, young people, as Kyle prayed about, are leaving for college soon. Some going into their freshman year, never been there before, don't know what to expect. It was 52 years ago that I was about ready to go to college for the first time. And I was contemplating earlier where I would go, how I would get there, what I would study. Um, And you know I ended up, I was the first person in my family ever to go to college, so I went to Hope College thinking that it might give me some hope in my life. I went there really for all the wrong reasons. If I was to be totally honest with you, I went there basically to play football. And I might get an education on the side. But I attended Hope, I was there as a freshman. The next year, A young woman who grew up in South Holland, Illinois, who had an aunt and a mother, who both had attended Hope College, decided to do the same thing. Now, I grew up in Muskegon, Michigan, she grew up in South Holland, Illinois. We had no idea that we would meet at Hope College, but after several years and a lot of begging, Becky finally married me, and 48 years later, here we are still married today. You have your own stories, right, about how things happen in your life and how you meet people and what takes place, where you might have a vision or an idea that you think God has given to you, and someone else might have another one that's completely different, and somehow God melds them together and marries them together in a way that is one vision. All of us are part of accomplishing God's purposes because of the vision that others have. While Cornelius' vision was relatively risk-free, send some of your people to Japan. and find a guy named Peter, not too much risk for a Roman centurion to do that, Peter's vision was much more radical. Peter went with Cornelius' men back to Caesarea and met with some people there. And when he got there, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right now it's really hard for us to grasp I think how radical it was for God to ask Peter who was a Jew to start to include Gentiles his early ministry in the ministry of all the apostles was first off to the Jews they were easy they picked the low-hanging fruit first because they already believed in God They understood what a Messiah was. They had all the Old Testament scriptures. But you certainly couldn't include Gentiles. If you included non-Jews, they would contaminate the body. We can't let them in here. We have to put up barriers. We have to have standards. We have to do something to keep them out. They do not belong. It's been that way for centuries. It's always been that way. We could never change. I can't imagine doing anything different. But God was instituting revolutionary change in the body of Christ and encouraging the body of Christ to broaden its appeal to include others. And it's the most radical thing, I think, that ever happened in the church. There are a lot of radical things that happen in the church, but this is the very thing that sets the church on fire. When you read from this point forward into the book of Acts, you see Christianity spreading more so than we ever have before because of the inclusion of the Gentiles. And understanding that vision forces us to do some reflection of our own, to ask about our own biases and our own prejudices. Not unlike Peter, we may have been raised with certain ideas about who was included in the body of Christ and who couldn't be included in the body of Christ. Who was an insider and who wasn't an insider. Now a lot of you know that, that from 1980 to 1990, I was an associate pastor down the street at Christ Church of Oakbrook. While I was there in those 10 years, I officiated at literally hundreds of weddings. And there are a couple that stand out in my mind as being great celebrations of a couple and their marriage, but some of the most painful events I ever participated in. Because on two occasions that I remember clearly in my mind, one, the parents of the bride, And in another situation, the parents of the groom would not attend their children's wedding. One would not attend their children's wedding because they were marrying a Catholic. And the other parents would not attend their child's wedding because they were marrying a Protestant. Because this is where the twain should not meet. Catholics and Protestants don't get married. They don't come together. This was a very common idea, even into the 80s. There have been ethnic and racial divides in the church over the course of history. I mean, it wasn't even until um, 2011 that an RCA pastor could legitimately become a pastor of a Christian Reformed church without having to go through a whole series of courses and taking tests and so on. I mean, that I had been an RCA pastor for 40 years made no difference at that time. But now, believe it or not, since 2011, RCA pastors and CRPC pastors can go back and forth and serve each other's congregations, which is how you've gotten stuck with Klein and myself. It would probably be a good idea for us to look into our own hearts and minds and ask, who do I keep out? Who do I think doesn't qualify? Can I affirm with Peter i now realize how true it is that god does not show favoritism but accepts every nation the one who fears him and does what is right every nation every person i don't know about you but i find every to be a very big word every nation every person no one should be kept out two men two separate visions, one requiring a radical seismic change in the life of the body of Christ. So the legitimate question you should be asking right now is, well, how does all this turn out? While Peter was still speaking these words, presenting the gospel message of Jesus Christ, just his basic story. The Holy Spirit came upon all, The Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even unto the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The Gentiles! Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. No doubt to teach them what it meant to be a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Peter embraced the vision that God had given him and threw the doors of the church wide open to everyone. As we continue in the book of Acts, we're going to see that that was a great idea, but not everybody adopted it quickly. The church had some issues. They had some problems. There was some resistance. There was some out out and out fighting. When you get to chapter 15 in the book of Acts, they have a whole council. To talk about this issue. How do you feel about Peter's words? God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Every nation. Everyone. Those are not just words. Those are ideas that have huge implications. Who is included? Who would we keep out? What changes is God asking us to make that would break down a barrier for people coming to know Jesus Christ? Some of us need to be more accepting of different ethnic groups and races. Some of us need to be more accepting of people with backgrounds and pasts that we find totally offensive. Some of us need to be more accepting of different kinds of worship styles that we like. Some of us need to be more tolerant of people who are intolerant or whose opinions and politics differ from ours. We've all got some of those. We want them to tolerate our opinions But are we willing to tolerate their opinions? I might wrestle with this myself, can you tell? Some of us need to be more accepting of the barriers we place around church leadership based on gender. Some of us need to be more open about the LGBTQ community. Much of our resistance to change and to openness is founded in fear. We're afraid that we're going to lose something that we've held dearly all of our life. You know what the antidote to fear is? John tells us that perfect love casts out fear. The unconditional, unmerited love of Christ for all of us Cast out fear. There's really nothing for us as God's people to be afraid of. Two visions, two acts of obedience, a radical change, a broader community of believers, and God's kingdom wins every time. Will you pray with me, please? Sometimes we look to your word for comfort, O Lord, and we know that your words bring us comfort. Like healing oil and a healing touch. And sometimes we look to your word for direction, because we're lost or uncertain and we don't know where to go. And sometimes your word comes to us in spite of what we want, to challenge us. And so, as the body of Christ, we open ourselves to your word. Guide us. Direct us. Teach us to listen closely to the Holy Spirit. And to follow you in obedience, wherever it might take us. And all God's people said, Amen.